Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined today by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? Oh, you know, just uh, living the quarantine lifestyle in Southeast Michigan. Yes. Uh, first and foremost, we want to make sure uh, all you are staying safe, uh, you know, washing your hands, uh, six feet of separation from everyone, doing all the right things. Uh, and hopefully that pays off down the road and we're able to see Penn State football, whether it's sometime in the fall or sometime next spring. Uh, but before that happens, that's a long way away. We want to talk about the right now with Penn State football. Uh, and the main reason we, there are two reasons we got mad on for this one. Number one is we're talking recruiting. Uh, we're going to, Penn State's been pretty active in recruiting over the last 10 days or so. And the other reason Matt's here is because he is in what is suddenly turning into uh, Penn State's other home state, which is Michigan. Penn State got four commits. Uh, I, I'm sorry, five commits over the last, uh, by now it's 11 days. Uh, four-star safety Jalen Reed. Uh, he is from uh, Detroit, Michigan, went to Martin Luther King, goes to Martin Luther King High School. Uh, four-star athlete Zaki Wheatley from Archbishop Spaulding in Severn, Maryland. Pair of twin brothers, four-star uh, defensive back Kalen King and three-star linebacker Kobe King from Cass Tech in Detroit, Michigan. And a three-star Penn State's most recent commit, Jeffrey Davis Jr. from Kingswood Oxford School in West Hartford, Connecticut. Matt, I just want to go right down the line chronologically and start with Jalen Reed. Uh, he, best commit of the group, uh, watching a little bit of his tape, I'm really, really impressed by him. And he reminds me, and I think he might remind you too, of someone else who's played safety for Penn State recently. Yeah, he's um, kind of a throwback in this sense. I'll, I'll probably use that term with a couple other players on that list that you mentioned. Um, but he's, um, you know, and the player that I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to is Marcus Allen. He's he is not shy about playing the run. Um, he's he's not a, a huge guy. He's six foot one ninety, um, but he plays big. Um, and I think one of the things that jumps out to me is um, just the way he reads the game, which is I think sometimes for guys that are are obscenely athletic at the high school level can get away with being obscenely athletic and not necessarily be. Um, uh, you know, especially as a safety, you know, read the game effectively and kind of you know, read your keys, that sort of thing. Um, but he's real, real um, intelligent. You used to watch the way he reads the play and, and diagnoses run pass and then and per, uh, pursues the ball however he needs to from that that perspective. Um, like I say, he's not a huge guy, um, but he's he's real willing to, to uh, step up and run support. Really, really solid tackler. Um, and I think one of the things, too, that jumps out is um, – it's hard to read in in highlight films a lot of times for a safety, um, just because you're not dealing with elite level quarterbacks or elite level elite level wide receivers in a lot of cases. Um, but you watch his ball skills, and I think he he's real intelligent about um, you know getting himself in the right position to make a play. Um, he's not the most um, overly athletic guy. He's not one of those guys that jumps off the tape on film. I think part of that is because he is um, so smooth, um, but he's just, he's a, a real all around solid safety, a true safety prospect um, has that experience playing the position. And as you alluded to, he's one of the three kids from Detroit that uh, Penn state's landed 
Um, in the last 11 days, they actually landed the, the three Detroit kids um, within about 21 hours of each other, uh, about 10 or 11 days ago now. Um, King High School in Detroit is actually the alma mater of uh, Tim Banks, the safeties coach for Penn State. Um, he's done a ton of work in Detroit um, with all three of the kids from the city that, that they've committed, they've had commit in this class, as well as the guys on the roster like Lance Dixon, um, Donovan Johnson, uh, even KJ Hamler, who we know came from Florida, but he's a Pontiac, Michigan native just outside Detroit, um, and real instrumental in a number of other guys that we'll get to here in a little bit in the class that they're still pursuing in the area. Um, but but King High School is one of probably the two or three big schools you want to make sure that you have a presence in in not only Detroit proper, but, but some of the major suburbs. And, um, and they've been really successful there. I think Reed's ceiling is, is really high. Yeah. I was watching Reed's, uh, watching a little bit of his tape and his highlight video on 24 seven. It lists off his stats from his junior year, 119 tackles, 11 tackles for loss, six sacks, eight forced fumbles and a pick. And those numbers really do reflect this kid's nose for the football and the fearlessness that he brings when he sees the opportunity to attack and he wants to take that, which that is very Marcus Allen-esque. But the difference between him and Marcus Allen was I thought there were times when Allen would be on the field where he would do those sorts of things and he'd rely on his instincts and it didn't always seem like he was in too, like he was in total control. Like he was just going to fly around and throw caution to the wind. And Reed seems like the kind of kid, he's not as big as Allen. Allen was about two inches taller and I think, you know, 10, 15 pounds heavier. But Reed seems like when he relies on his instincts, it is because he has diagnosed plays that quickly and he is getting to it as opposed to when Allen... He would be seemed a little bit more prone to gambling. Uh, obviously, since he's a high schooler, we won't know for sure until he gets to college ball and we get to see him do these sorts of things against teams that have a little bit more of a threat to throw the ball. And that's kind of my thing. I want to see what he is a little bit more as a cover guy. But in terms of, you know, if you want one safety to be the center fielder and one safety to be the guy who's going to have his nose everywhere and he's going to be flying around hitting dudes, breaking up passing plays, stuffing runs, those sorts of things. Really, Reed seems like he fits into that second archetype pretty nicely. Uh, and then if we're going to be talking about, you, you know, we can keep talking about Michigan, but in that two-day stretch where they landed four kids, they landed a someone who seems like he could end up playing safety for Penn State in Zaki Wheatley from Archbishop Spalding in Maryland – the thing that sticks out to me is if Reed is that, you know, tough, physical, nasty safety, Matt, it seems to me like Wheatley, when he, on his tapes where he is playing defensive back, you can see his, how he can project out to be a very promising center fielder, uh, ball-playing type of safety, who, when you throw the ball in the air around him, he has those inherent wide receiver instincts to track it in the air and then go make a play on it. Oh, for sure. And I think um, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but he's he's considered an athlete on 247. Um, Penn State projects him as a safety, but um, certainly has the skill set to play wide receiver or be an offensive kind of weapon as well, potentially. Um, but like I said, Penn State projects him as that as a safety. And I think you, you hit on hit the nail on the head, Bill, that he is kind of the yin to the yang for Reed, whereas Reed is that kind of instinctual, um, aggressive, hard-nosed, um, kind of almost downhill safety that still has those ball skills, 
Wheatley is that true athletic center fielder goes and gets the ball. Um, if he has anything to work on, it's probably the kinds of things that we touched on with Reed being really effective as a tackler. He just doesn't have the experience doing that. He's a guy that's played both ways in, in high school. Um, and you don't get that kind of fundamental uh, talent or fundamental skill set down when you're, you're you know, practicing on both sides of the ball. And you just, quite frankly, don't have the time to focus on that sort of thing at that level. Um, but he's, he's incredibly athletic. He, he almost had the look of a corner at safety with just how quickly he can get in and out of breaks and change the directions. Um, and you see it too, with those ball skills. And I think, um, the, the holes in his game, you know, the, the, um, increasing your strength or, or playing through traffic and being effective inside the box. Those are things that come with experience and come with sitting down with Tim Banks and your, your position coach and getting reps at the college level. Um, but the the athleticism just jumps out off the, the the tape with you. And he's a big kid too. He's six two one eighty. Um, you know, built more like a Marcus Allen type, but I think um, just a more of a natural athlete if you want to think of it that way. But there's some some fine tuning to do around the edges with him. Yeah, my first note that I took within ten seconds of watching him was please give him a burger. Like he needs to bulk up. Um, I actually got really interested and I decided to cross-reference him with Penn State's uh, current class of safeties. Uh, he is six foot two, 180 pounds. Uh, that's what he's listed on, uh, on 24-7. Obviously, we don't know exactly what he is, but that's a, probably a very reasonable estimate. I decided to look at Lamont Wade, who is five foot nine, so he is considerably shorter. Lamont is 188 pounds. So if Wheatley is going to play, uh, well, not if, I mean, when Wheatley plays at the college level, it's going to be after he puts a little bit of weight on. Um, he doesn't seem afraid of trying to tackle, of trying to be physical. It's just a matter of, I don't know if he has the strength to do it yet. But he has plenty of time, and the stuff that he can do right now, his athleticism, uh, his ability to basically be a wide receiver at safety, those are things that you can't, you can teach them, but you can't be really, really good at them unless you just kind of have that in you. And he seems like he already has that in him. Uh, moving on to the other two names that Penn State was able to get on that day, uh, the King twins, Kalen and Kobe from Detroit, Kalen is a cornerback. Kobe is an inside linebacker. Uh, Kalen, number 336 recruit nationally, four-star kid. Kobe, 468, and a a three-star kid. We'll start with Kalen, Matt. He seems to me... uh, He needs to bulk up a bit, uh, like most every high schooler, 5'11", 170. I don't think he projects out to be the kind of kid who can, you know, take away half the field or be uh, someone who is, they have to play him every snap because he's just that good. But he absolutely seems to me, like you and I talk about a lot, the kind of floor raiser or floor solidifier that you need if you are going to be a really, really good football program. What I think his limitations are things that you're never going to get around. Um, And it seems we just start with, start a, a breakdown with that. But his his biggest weakness is his size. He's five eleven, um, and I think his, the rest of his athletic package is is as good as anyone else in the country for the most part. Um, certainly, probably kids that are you know in the top one hundred, top one hundred and fifty. Um, but he's just five eleven, and I think that hurts him 
Um, especially when you see, you know, the the types of athletes that you go up against again at wide receiver in the Big Ten and, and with the elite programs around the country. Um, but that athleticism is is as good as anyone. Like I said, he's um, has a three nine five uh, shuttle in the uh, at the opening regional last year, uh, almost thirty four and a half inch vertical at the same regional camp. Um, so there's that raw athleticism is there. He's got he's a little plays a little bit bigger than I think his size is when you look at some of his highlights mm-hmm. from from high school. Um, but I think part of that too is probably you know the the type of athlete he's going up against most weeks. Um, but he does a lot of things really well at cornerback. He's a pretty well polished player, um, and I think the the things that um, will help him improve on some of that things are you know um, I'm I'm looking at the the 24 seven evaluation here. Um, you know, pure speed, recovery speed can be improved upon. But the the part that like I hit on is he's a smart, technically sound prospect who's effective in both man and zone. And I think that um, is, checks a lot of the boxes that we talked about with uh, Jalen Reed. I think his, uh, his crosstown rival, if you will, in Detroit is he's a, he's a really good football player. He, under, he, he knows what he's good at. He knows what his limitations are and he plays towards those strengths really effectively. And I think he's that kind of guy that, um, it's never going to be, you know, a Jeff Okuda top ten NFL pick, but I think it could be a really, really solid college player. And Cast Tech is another one of those schools in Detroit that if you can have a foot in the door there, that's a that that's gigantic, correct? For sure, and that's we'll talk about it a little bit here when we talk about Michigan as a whole and the Detroit area specifically. But Cast Tech is one of those places that that Michigan, especially, um, and more recently Michigan State to some degree, have really recruited really well. Um, Ohio State, some of the big name schools have have pulled kids out of there here and there. Um, but in Michigan's heyday, if you will, Cast Tech was you know a virtual pipeline to Michigan, and um, their coach is a, a former Michigan player. So there's all sorts of connections there, but. Um, I have to look at the Penn State's roster because I can't keep track of where all the kids from the area have gone. But um, it's a place where you want to get a foot in the door. And with both the King twins, I think it's um, you know a really effective start. Uh, a thing that I'm going to assume that you were going to say, but you decided to correct yourself before you said it, uh, Donovan Johnson went to Cast Tech. Okay, I couldn't remember if he was King or Tech or Cast Tech. Uh, moving on, the other King uh, brother, uh, Kobe King, uh, the thing with uh, real quick on Kalen, I'm glad that you mentioned zone or man, uh, just because that's something that comes off immediately. Like when you watch him, there are going to be times where he is in a dude's face on the line of scrimmage, and there are going to be times where he's lined up five yards off of him. Like he seems comfortable doing just about anything asked of him, which that is, I don't want to say that's a skill, but that's not an easy thing for a lot of high schoolers to have. Uh, moving on to Kobe King, inside linebacker. Uh, we were talking about Marcus Allen. We've been talking about Marcus Allen a lot on this, which we can always stand to do because Marcus Allen was great. Kobe King reminds me a bit of his Jason Cabinda type. Um, in watching him, I don't necessarily see uh, a ton of, you, you know, game-breaking speed, game-breaking quickness, those sorts of things. But I, I don't know how he'd be against the pass. But when he's going to read a play before it happens and as it is happening and attack and then tackle reliably. And I think, you know, Penn state has been moving more towards the very athletic, very explosive linebacker type. There's a place for a kid like Kobe King in Penn state's roster, Matt. For sure. I think of, of the five players we're, we're talking about right now, he's probably the one that I think, you know, almost kind of screams fan favorite. You know, he's kind of that throwback Penn state linebacker. 
Um, don't get me wrong. He's not unathletic, but he's not, you know, Curtis, Curtis Jacobs, Lance Dixon, Brandon Smith, Micah Parsons. He's not that, you know, elite level nationally kind of athlete. He's more Ellis um, Brooks. Exactly. And I, I, and there's, like you said, a place for that kind of player. Um, Jason Kavind is a great comparison. Um, what really stands out to me right now is he is, he looks like he could play college football tomorrow. He's just, he's built really solidly. Not a, not a tall guy. He's just a hair over six feet, but he's 225 pounds already. Um, and he plays physically. He does not, um, you know, shy away from, from the physical nature of the game. Um, and again, he's not, not going to be, you know, a future top 10 NFL draft pick kind of player, but he's the kind of player when you look at, you know, even playoff rosters, um, every year, every team has a guy like that, that maybe doesn't jump off the, the, the film as a, a freak that's making plays all over the field. But every team has a guy like him who's in the right spot, making the plays he's supposed to, um, and, al- and allows those other guys to kind of fly around and make those, those high level plays because there's a guy like a Kobe King, um, on the field with him. He, he's a potential brains of the defense basically. Yeah. And, and I, I think he, like I said, the, the physical nature, he just, he screams middle linebacker, um, which is unique in and of itself that Penn state hasn't recruited a lot of the true middle linebacker. Um, you know, they want that, that high end athlete that they kind of just, you know, figure out the right fit for him when they get on campus. Um, he's not a guy who's going to play outside probably just because of the, his, his, um, his physical limitations. Um, but you plug him in the middle, like they did with Jason Cabinda for two or three years. And, um, you know, he's going to get the job done. And moving on to the last member of this class, uh, or the last member of this class to recently commit, uh, Jeffrey Davis, uh, three star athlete. Uh, he was a cornerback. He's an athlete. He plays wide receiver. He plays a few spots in the secondary. He returns kicks. Uh, looks like he's going to be a corner for Penn state. He seems like he has all the physical tools that you want outside. If you want, you know, you want him to bulk up a bit. He's 170 pounds at six feet tall, but he, with his athleticism and his brain, he seems like a very, 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 very smart kid. I mean, he committed to Penn State. He had offers from he had an offer from Princeton, uh, offer from Yale, uh, a bunch of really good academic schools, and Rutgers were looking at him. And it seems like this is the kid. You, you know, every class you want to have one or two kids that you take a swing on and you want to see if they're a diamond in the rough. He seems like he has the potential to be something of a diamond of the rough for the Nittany Lions. He reminds me a lot of another kid from Connecticut on the roster, Marquise Wilson. Um, I don't want to say that he's going to turn into that because Wilson really jumped off, um, you know, surprised a lot of us by making as big an impact as he did as a true freshman in 2019. Um, But he's that same kind of player, a little bit bigger, not drastically so, but um, has an inch or two on, on Wilson. Um, I don't want to compare him just cause he's from Connecticut, but it's kind of a, a good jumping off point. Um, I think what's key to mention with, with Davis is he's a kid that Penn state's seen a lot of in person. Um, and I don't know if we wrote about this recently or we just, you know, maybe talking about it, um, between ourselves, but with the, the limit limitations on visits at the moment, you know, play, players not being allowed to get onto campus and coaches not being allowed to go off campus to visit these kids and, and see them in person, um, that in-person evaluation, if you have it, is invaluable. And Davis is a guy that, that's camp for the staff. They've seen him in person a few times. So they have a pretty good feel for, for what he is. Um, and even though the rating, he's, uh, he's number 530 nationally, might not be you know screaming high-level player, I think given 
this staff's track record of identifying kids, especially when they see them in person, um, makes Davis um, a really intriguing prospect going forward. Um, he's a kid that uh, was a relatively recent offer. I think it was November of last year. Um, they got him back on campus right before um, the shutdown, the last really big weekend of, of visits Penn State hosted in early February. Um, so they got him back on campus then. Um, he had just been on campus again in November. And I think there's just a comfort level there between both the player and, and the staff of knowing what they have in each other. And um, like I said, with with the track record of identifying these kids that maybe aren't um, the national level, re- level recruit potentially, but having them turn into really effective players, um, even at cornerback, you look at guys like Amani Oruwariye, Grant Haley, uh, Christian Campbell, um, guys like that that weren't really heralded that came in and were, were really solid players for Penn State. This is another guy at the same kind of position um, where I think um, it's going to be really interesting to see what he does when he gets on campus. So it, it's, like we mentioned, really, really, really good stretch uh, for Penn State football managed to get uh, four kids in two days, uh Five kids in, uh, let's see, I have to do math, I have to do math, eight days. Something that Penn State could use, I mean, it, it's not that this recruiting class is necessarily bad, we're going to do a mailbag in a second, and that's a question that gets to it, but it's just nice to get a little bit of momentum uh, with something like that. And Matt, my, I, I'm going to just kind of back away and roll the ball out for you since this is right in your wheelhouse, uh, literally in your backyard. Uh Penn State seems like it has made it a point in this recruiting cycle to try and get kids out of Michigan. And there are the players that they've landed. Uh, They're making a push for a kid like Rocco Spindler. They have their foot on the door for a handful of others, whether or not they come to Penn State. You know, time will ultimately tell them that. But Penn State seems like it's really trying to make its presence felt in Michigan. And first off, I want to ask you why, like, why is Michigan an area that Penn state is going after now? Does it have to do with the talent there? Does it have to do uh, with, let's say things not going especially well at the two major programs in Michigan? Like what is it that Michigan has been a priority for Penn state in this cycle? And then I'll get into a, I have a follow-up question off of that. Well, I, th- I think there's there's no one magic bullet. I think it's you know, having a guy like Tim Banks on staff, who's probably as far as um, Michigan recruiting um, locally here around Detroit, especially, um, is as well known and as well respected as as anyone in the area. Um, he grew up here. He went to high school at King High School. Um, coached in the state. Um, I think he was at Western briefly um, on on his way rising through the ranks. Um, so I think there's that element. Um, I think he's been at Penn state now for several years. So, um, you know, the, the power brokers, the high school coaches in the area, um, you know, see him for what it is, you know, that they, they, they trust what they're hearing from him. They trust that the kids from the area that have gone there have been treated well, have had, had good experiences. Um, even a kid like Donovan Johnson, who hasn't, um, you know, unfortunately dealt with some injury issues. I mean, each of his first two years playing, um, you know, he's, he's a uh, cast tech alum himself. And, you know, the fact that he's struggled as much as he has on the field um, or even to get on the field and the fact that, um, you know, there's two kids from his alma mater now um, going to be joining him here in 2021 
speaks volumes to, I think, that that relationship building that's gone on and that level of trust that's been built up um, in a city that, that, quite frankly, Penn State doesn't have historically a whole lot of presence. Um, and I think you had another big reason is that um, you know Michigan is a national program. They've always recruited nationally as long as I've paid attention to this stuff. And with the turnover at MSU, um, there's kind of, especially the, the timeline it happened, created this kind of perfect storm in a sense. Not every one of these kids that um, the King Twins or Reed were committed by, or were recruited heavily by by both schools. Um, I think Reed was more heavily recruited by uh, by MSU. Um, Michigan um, had looked elsewhere at safety. Um, the uh, the King twins were probably a little more heavily recruited by Michigan than MSU because of the connection to Cast Tech and U of M um, is a big part of it. But with, with Michigan really um, looking all over the country for talent, um, it's created that opening then with MSU um, just with the transition and not having um, a ton of uh, huge connections at the moment as the, as Mel Tucker's staff gets settled creates that opening um, you've even heard rumors um, back when when Mel Tucker was being hired that Tim Banks was a guy that was potentially being targeted by him to join his staff as an assistant because of those Detroit connections. Um, I think part of it too is just the nature of Penn State's needs this cycle and what um, is is available in Detroit, especially. Um, we've talked a lot on on previous podcasts about um, you know the the fluctuating talent levels in Pennsylvania. Um, but if I look down down the top five players in in Pennsylvania right now, you have an offensive tackle, a pro style quarterback, an inside linebacker, a safety, and a wide receiver. Um, and that inside linebacker, Jeremiah Trotter Jr., um, committed to uh, Clemson really, really early on. Um, wasn't even a guy that that there was even much reciprocal interest either from him to Penn State or vice versa. Um, and the other safety that I mentioned, Derek Davis Jr., is a guy that Penn State is still recruiting really heavily. So. You look among the, and if I continue on down, the next three players are all defensive ends. Um, and then you get to another safety, um, Taishim Johnson, who's a guy that Penn State's looked at a little bit too. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think it's just kind of that perfect storm of, of a, a great connection locally and a, a need for what was, um, you know, the kind of players that Penn State's looking for were there. They weren't in in Pennsylvania, for example, or the DMV areas where they they have traditionally recruited heavier. Um, and then that that power void, if you will, um, with the, the big time local programs. And then my follow up question off of that is just the general importance of Michigan as a state that Penn State can go and recruit in. It's not in Ohio. It's not in New Jersey. It's not a DMV. Might not be a Pennsylvania either, but it is a state that consistently has very, very, very good football players coming out of it. For sure. And I think um, what's key about Michigan is, for the most part, this isn't 100% true, a guy like um, Anthony Zettles from a, a town called West Branch, which is about halfway between between Detroit and the uh, the Mackinac Bridge, the Upper, upper Peninsula. So, you know, what we call upstate um, and around these parts. Um, but for the most part, the talent in the state is concentrated in Southeast Michigan, in the Detroit area. Um, and a lot of times at specific schools like Cass Tech, like Martin Luther King, um, there's a suburban school, Belleville, <coughs> excuse me, that, um, that has traditionally re- um, recently produced quite a bit of Division I talent. West Bloomfield is a program where Lance Dixon came from. 
they've been pretty consistently producing um, Big Ten level players. Um, and then Oak Park was another uh, suburb of the area, real blue collar town um, connected to the auto industry. They have players every year. That's where Enzo Jennings from uh, this most recent class um, graduated from. So I think it's it's a great place to look to augment some of those you know regional weaknesses, if you will. You know, certain classes just don't have the players that that fill the positions that you're looking for in certain years. And so having relationships in a place like Detroit that is consistently going to have elite players and in most years are going to have at least one or two out of positions where you're really looking to, to, to hit a home run in that recruiting cycle and having a guy like Tim Banks that knows the area. And like I had on earlier has developed those relationships and trust with the right people in the area is just, is, is huge. Um, Cause you've had, you just have that level of talent in, in the Detroit area, the Metro area that, um, You'd be foolish. It's not that far away. I make that drive a few times a year. It's a six-hour drive from from the Detroit area in the suburbs to State College. Um, you know that that 500-mile radius that James Franklin talks about. We're right inside that, um, and it, it only makes sense to look there um, because of the, the historical talent level and your connections now. So we are all very happy that Penn State ended up adding a, a collection of fine young men who we think are going to. Uh, contribute to this program for somewhere between three and five years. But we're always on the lookout for the next thing in recruiting. Uh, I have a 24-7 schedule commitments pulled up. The guys that Penn State we know is in on, uh, Malik Newton, a running back out of Virginia, his commitment date is currently scheduled for November 30th. Uh, Tony Grimes, a cornerback out of Virginia, December 1st. And Dante Thornton, a wide receiver out of Baltimore, January 9th. Uh, ahead of that, you, you know, there's been some rumblings that uh, about Corey Kiner and whether Penn State would want to kick the tires there and whether he would be interested in these sorts of things. He's scheduled to commit on July 4th. But Matt, that is just way too far away from me. Uh, those uh, guys we know Penn State is in on and even the guy Penn State might get in on. If you had to wager on the next domino and you could you know, you, it, this could be a total guess, whatever. Who would you guess that is going to be? Well, I think the two names that I would pay attention to from a Penn State perspective in the immediate future, and I, and I say immediate in the next two to three weeks, would be um, another Michigan kid from Belleville High School, uh, Jamari Budden, another linebacker. Um, he's close with the, the King Twins especially. Um, and now you've got all three of the Detroit kids, the, the Kobe and Kalen and then uh, Reed, Jalen Reed, um, have all been um, in his ear both on social media and I'm sure uh, in more private conversations like texts and DMs um, about um, joining them in Happy Valley. Um, he's a kid I, I, I touched on earlier where none of the three were necessarily huge Michigan targets that committed to Penn State in the last week and a half or so. Jamari Budden is a huge Michigan target. That would be... Um, one of those huge red flags um, from a Michigan perspective that would be raised if they don't land him. They've kind of gone all in on him. Um, he's uh, uh, Belleville High School, one of the programs I mentioned. Um, I don't think anything's expected anytime soon with another Michigan kid, but I'll mention two of them here. Donovan Edwards, the elite running back from West Bloomfield, Lance Dixon's alma mater, and then Rocco Spindler, a big-time offensive guard at Clarkston. Neither of them appear anywhere close to making a decision at this point, but I'll just I'll mention them as as the the three other Michigan kids in this class that I think Penn State's has varying levels of of a shot at the other one 
um, in addition to Budden, would be uh, the quarterback, Christian Velu from uh, Bullis School, the Canadian native, but he's um, been playing in Maryland the last couple of years. He released his top four recently. Um, Duke, one of his, his four finalists, just got a commitment from a quarterback not that long ago, in the last 10 days or so, um, which probably knocks them out, which makes this a Penn State-Clemson battle. Um, I've thought for a while, even though um, Clemson has kind of been that offer he coveted, that Penn State has been recruiting him for a long, long time now. Um, they've got a, a great relationship. His parents have been on campus at least a couple times, I believe. Um, and, and quite frankly, Penn State's got a much more favorable death chart at the moment at quarterback. Um, so I think though he, it's kind of been alluded to that he could be nearing a decision um, just as qu- quarterback's a unique position, um, obviously, um, for a number of reasons. But on the recruiting trail, um, most places are only taking one per cycle. Um, they've got their list of guys and you don't want to be the, the recruit that is left without a chair when the music stops. And I think um, there's kind of this game of cat and mouse right now with um, a number of elite guys. The three that um, have the Penn State connection, uh, Velu, uh, Caleb Williams, who we've talked about a ton previously, um, the top dual threat quarterback in the country, and then Garrett Nussmeyer. Um, all three of those have Penn State offers. It feels like the three of them are kind of just waiting each other out for the moment, but... Um, Williams can can kind of call his own shot. He's that level of player. The other two, it's kind of you know almost waiting for the other one to make a move. But I I think the 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 instinct I have is that um, Velu is is getting to the point where um, you know he he almost can't afford to wait. Unfortunately, um, for visits to be allowed to happen again at the earliest, that'd be early June. Um, you, you risk the chance of of your top choice is not having a spot for you at quarterback, especially the longer you wait. Um, if someone else jumps on an offer before you do. Um, so, so, uh, so Budden and, and Vela would be the two that I'd keep my eye on. Um, no real timeline. Like you mentioned, um, no one else that's, you know, Nolan Rucci re- released his top nine recently. Um, all indications are he's going to take visits whenever he's able to again, um, at least at this point. So nothing imminent there. Um, Spindler, nothing imminent there. Um, some of the other high-end guys, Dante Thornton, you mentioned, is is a ways down the road. So, um, what happened, you know, really that created the momentum for Penn State in the last ten days was one getting Landon Tangwall on board. Um, that kind of um, opened the door, so to speak. Um, you kind of need one player to 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 almost make it okay, especially in this current environment where where you can't take visits and and the world has changed so much um, from a recruiting perspective as far as we're concerned right now that Tangwall kind of made it okay to, to make that decision for Penn state and all what, you know, four of the five guys that just committed are all secondary players. And I think what they saw happen was um, Penn state is going to have a smaller class this year, probably 20 to 22 would be my guess. Um, and only a handful of those spots are available for defensive backs. And I think you saw as soon as Reed decided he was going to make his decision, that kind of forced King and Wheatley and and Davis Jr. to make their decisions as well. So I think, um, you know, there's the other spot for Penn State where that could happen is on the offensive line potentially. So if you see one of those guys, um, you know, you know, Spindler for example, make a decision that could spur some other guys along. But none of that looks like it's going to happen anytime soon, at least for the moment. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the kind of quarterback uh, staring contest that's happening. I- did want to mention that while it doesn't seem like he's going to be coming, it seems like it would be a huge shock if he came to Penn State. Uh, Garrett Nussmeyer was scheduled to commit on April 18th. 
uh, but decided he's going to push it back indefinitely. So uh, perhaps even a little bit longer for any sort of domino uh, with quarterbacks to fall there. And then I'm glad you mentioned uh, Nolan Rucci dropping his top nine. I was going to uh, make it a point to mention that Wisconsin, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Michigan, Ohio State, Stanford, Penn State, and Notre Dame. Uh, quite those schools going after that young man. So uh, hopefully it, 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 I would argue it would be a good thing if he committed to Penn State, but I'm admittedly a bit biased in this endeavor. Uh, ready for a mailbag? Let's do it. All right. We sent out the call for some mailbag questions. We actually got one uh, that kind of spurred on us wanting to do this podcast. Um, you know, we got a question that we, you know, I brought it to Matt and we said, Hey, let's do a podcast and answer this one. So from Twitter user at Fryer underscore underscore tuck, how worried should we be about PSU being eighth in the twenty? 21 Big Ten recruiting rankings. I get the cycle is far from over, but seeing Rutgers and Maryland ahead of us is shocking to say the least. What are your thoughts? Thanks. Um, I'll just really quickly uh, address this one, and then Matt, you can. Uh, I'll give you a sec to catch your breath, and you could uh, chime in when I'm done here. But basically, with regards to Rutgers and with regards to Maryland. Rutgers is very much getting a new coach bump right now. Uh, they have 11 commits, uh, three more than Penn State. The That is tied with Minnesota for the second most in the Big Ten. Uh, obviously quite a ways away from the 17 that Ohio State has, and everyone at Ohio State is terrifying. The players that Rutgers has gotten, though, they got one four-star in uh, Kyrie Banton. He uh, the number 300 kid nationally. He seems like... Uh, good football player. And then they have a few solid three stars. And then it starts getting uh, more into the type of kids that you expect uh, to be going to Rutgers, the mid to low three stars, the developmental projects, those sorts of things. And when you just go off of their average rating, Penn State's at 89.23, Rutgers is at 85.68. Penn State's basically one commit away from jumping Rutgers. And most everyone else, I actually did it where I tossed Christian Valu, a low four-star, into this current Penn State class. They would jump up to fourth in the Big Ten in the event that he were to get there. The other one is Maryland. They are a little bit more unique. They have uh, two – they have one blue-chip recruit uh, in Demian Robinson, the number 46 player nationally. They have a, another four-star in uh, Tazy Johnson, uh, number 240 nationally. And then it's – Number 522, 564, a JUCO kid, 914, 968, 952, 963, and not ranked. Maryland's inflated a bit by having two very, very good players in their class, which isn't unusual for Maryland. Maryland is usually able to grab one or two really good kids from the DMV. So I understand that there is that sort of anxiety right now in the process about where Penn State is, but at least with regards to those two programs, I wouldn't read too far into this. And the last thing that I had, Penn State's big game hunting. Like, this is something that can happen when your school decides it wants to go out and it wants to fight for Caleb Williams, who's the number five recruit in the country. Tony Grimes, number seven. Nolan Rucci, 13. Tristan Lee, 15. Like, the kids who can help you win national championships, when those are the kids that you're going after, sometimes they take a little bit more time to decide. They want to wait for the All-American games. Those sorts of things. So... I think you would agree with me, Matt. The big thing here is just be patient because Penn State is not going to be eighth in the Big Ten in the recruiting rankings for much longer. 
Exactly. And you, you hit on really the, the, the main point that I would say is that when you look at the average um, ranking or average rating, I should say, Penn State's third in the Big Ten behind Ohio State and just a hair behind Michigan at the moment. Um, and so kind of the I'm going to do some math here, which is never good for anyone. But essentially, if you want to look at, um, especially at this early stage, when you're trying to compare classes that are, you know, vastly different numbers of recruits, um, ultimately that comes into play at the end, but in the middle of a class, you kind of want to evaluate, you know, on the fly and it's hard to look at, at raw, raw ranking. Um, but if Penn state recruits at their average, um, for the next two players, they would, um, hop, I believe hop all the way over Wisconsin, who's third in the big 10 right now. And if they recruit three players at that 89.23 average, they'd hop over Minnesota. Who's currently number two in the big 10. Um, so it's like you said, it's a matter of waiting out some of these bigger names. Um, they have the smallest class in the big 10 right now. Um, at least in that top eight, along with Michigan, um, who has eight commits as well. Um, so it's, it's, I think one, a testament a little bit to the work that Greg Schiano um, is doing at Rutgers that he has them where they are. They're recruiting New Jersey really well. Um, they're getting a lot of those kids that um, are maybe not necessarily a Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan level, if you want to think of it that way, but kind of that second tier. Um, Greg Schiano's had a huge impact that way in keeping the kind of kids that Rutgers need to keep home. He's doing that. Uh, and Maryland's doing the same thing. Um, like you said, Bill, they've, they've landed a couple big names. Um, uh, Damian Robinson being the big one. Um, by the way, I'm not sure he's going to stick with Maryland, especially if there's a season and um, and Maryland does their usual Maryland thing um, and loses um, eight or nine games. But that's that's another podcast. Um, so I, I think it's just, you know, trust the process, if you will. Um, you know, when all is said and done, Penn State's not going to be eighth in the, when when these players sign in December or February. Um, I'd expect them to be in that two, three, four range um, because – not to spoil another question, they're not catching Ohio State's 17-member <laughs> devil class. Yes, and uh, two quick things I'd like to add just off of that. One, despite Penn State being eighth in the Big Ten, they are 15th nationally. So this is still a very, very good recruiting class. It's just waiting for something, some other things to fall into place. The number two, like I was looking through this, and I forgot that Minnesota was number two in uh, the Big Ten. And my, I really want P.J. Fleck to go I want PJ Fleck to go to a school that is not in the Big Ten, but will also give him whatever he wants because that team would win a national championship. Yeah, uh, I think he he just landed just um, I think it was Saturday or Sunday. Got Avante Dickerson out of Omaha, Nebraska, which was um, he'd been training that way for a while. But the fact that he got away from from the Huskers is is shocking. Um, he's a top 100 player. Um, they've got a couple other four stars who are um, right around top 300. Mm-hmm. Um, then it falls off from there, but. Um, Dickerson's a, is a real, real big time player. He's, um, you know, a real, real athletic kid. And that's, um, Minnesota pulling him out of Nebraska's backyard is, um, shocking on a lot of levels. Um, some good for, for the Gophers, some not as good for Scott Frost and friends. Well, the good news is that in my preseason top 25, I have Nebraska number three. This is the year that Scott Frost turns it around. Uh, I am insufferable. Moving on to our next question from our pal Treb, the most raucous Beaver Stadium reaction to a play in the last 20 years. My thought was to break this up into 10 and 10, where you get the first 10, so 2000 to 2010, and then I get 2011 to recently just because I, as everyone knows, I was not a Penn State fan until I went there. Uh I can probably guess the one or ones that are going to come to mind for you, but what are the ones that stick out? 
Well, this has come up because uh, we we had a little uh, internet gathering on Saturday and watched the O2 Nebraska game, which had that infamous Rich Gardner uh, pick six in the third quarter of Jamal Lord that kind of sealed the game for Penn State, um, put him up, put him up three scores at the at the time, um, and I, that was my sophomore year. And I'm I'm going to go off book here because it wasn't a play, but um, that was my sophomore year. Like I said, I was in the band. And I've told this story a couple times in the last few days, but when the drum major hit the flip in pregame before the Nebraska game, I have never in my life heard anything that loud. And I've, of course I had the benefit of being on the field, but you, you hear anyone who's been in that kind of environment, you almost feel the noise. It, you felt the roar of the crowd um, in that moment on the field. And I can only imagine what it felt like down there um, at the moment Gardner got the, got the pick six. It was one of those, those, if, if you haven't seen it, one of those pick sixes where the second he gets the ball, you know, he's gone. It's just, no one has a shot of catching him the way the play uh, played out and uh, just ran away from everyone. And then it was just, you know, pandemonium. Uh, we've talked a little bit on Twitter on, on Saturday about it with you know nachos and sodas and who knows what else flying around the student section. Um, the, it's a close second. Um, and it, it, it's probably been, I don't want to say romanticized, but because of the meaning of it um, in the 05 season, the Tom Bahali sack of Troy Smith to essentially end that Ohio State upset win um, in the 2005 season uh, when he forced the fumble there at the end, um, that would be be a close second from that that first decade of the of the 2000s. Yeah, I, I have. I basically went to four plays that uh, I kind of just go back and forth on, uh, with an honorable mention being. Were you at the uh, Iowa game in 2016, the one after Grant Haley, you know, after Grant Haley will score? I think that was their first home game after they beat Ohio State. I was not, no. For whatever reason, it, I was like, like, I felt my, the stadium shaking under my feet. Like, I think that was a game, the Purdue, they went out and they kicked the living hell out of Purdue and then I think they then came back against Iowa and that was a night game. And I think that was the game where any doubts that this team was going to be really, really, really good and potentially win the big 10 were kind of fixed. And I think some people kind of got, uh, you, you know, people brought that little extra juice from that. So that entire game, I think it's an honorable mention, but the four for me, the blocked punt against Ohio state in 2012, uh, Mike Hall blasts through the line, blows up the punt. They go over to Urban Meyer. He's bent over, hands on his knees. I thought the building was going to burn down for that. Uh, the A-Rob catch, obviously the Grant Helley block punt, and then Saquon's direct snap touchdown against Michigan, the third play of the game. I'd probably go with the A-Rob catch being the loudest of those. Uh, the Haley block punt, I didn't think it was that raucously loud in the stadium because some people had started to leave. Uh, there was a really nasty game and like my section wasn't, everyone wasn't crammed in like sardines. So I'd probably go a Rob for the last decade or so. What, which one would you go with? Um, I'd probably go the, the Haley one is unique to me because you've got three moments of, of just raw, like, the, the noise level goes up one latch each level. So the first one is the obvious is the block. The second one is Haley picks it up. The third one is when he gets the corner on the fastest punter on the planet and, and you realize he's going to score. And, and each one of those, those moments, the noise level just went up one more level. I don't, it's trying to compare something, you know, 2016 to a, a play 14 years ago. Um, I've drank enough in those 14 years where those brain cells aren't with <laughs> us anymore. Um, 
but I, I think um, almost the, the romanticism of it, you know, how, how meaningful that play was, um, you know, there's, there's an emotional attachment to, to the sound, if you will. Um, one other one that just jumped in my head and, I'm, and I, I had mentioned to someone the other day is in that 05 Ohio State game, Calvin Lowry had a pick, a near pick six. I think he got brought down to like the one or two yard line. They scored a play or two later. Um, that was Gardner-esque in, in the sense where it was one of those ones, the way the play worked out, it looked like he had a shot to take it all the way back. Um, so that was another kind of unrolled mention, if you will. But I think I'd probably go with the Haley one. Um, my runner up for the, that second decade, I'd probably go with Saquon because it was so early on yeah. in the game and everyone's all juiced up. And, you know, anyone in the stadium, if you were sitting high enough, you realized really quick he, he was gone. There, no one had a shot to catch him. And, you know, it's, you know, I just watched the replay of it uh, yesterday and it's, you know, your, your 90 seconds or whatever it was into the game. And, you know, that noise level that we had for, for Michigan's first offensive series had that level of energy in the stadium. Cause you're still, yep. you know, it had just started and then they go up seven, nothing early on with a big play like that. Um, kind of had that, that just raw emotional outlet, if you will. Yeah. And that, that, that moved them. They were the number two team in the country for that game. They won that game 42, 13 that. And then as we all know, like, they played Ohio State the next week. They won that game. Like, they called that game with a minute and a half left on the clock. Then they played Michigan State the next week. They called that game with a minute and a half left on the clock. And Penn State just went undefeated that year. So it was a, it was a really great moment. I was convinced Saquon was winning the Heisman after that. But we're not going to talk about this anymore. Uh, next question we got uh, from uh, Nathan Baganza. He wants to know – I'll defer to you to this one – Matt uh, wanted to know about Penn State going after four-star Nevada tight end uh, Maliki Matavo. Uh, anything, uh, anything there that we need to be uh, we, we need to be made aware of? Yeah, it's we talked a little bit about it in one of our um, the prediction articles. What he's referring to, um, where we predicted the the offense and the defense, um, the remaining members of the 2021, 2021 recruiting class, um, and at tight end is it's one of those. Um, the, the two hot, top targets that we laid out were Brock Bowers and uh, Thomas Fadone. Um, not that um, I'm going to try and get Matavo. I'm, I'm going to say that's how it's right, how, how you pronounce it correctly. Um, it's a matter of can we get these guys to campus? And I believe Penn State did get Bowers on campus right before the shutdown, March 5th. That's what it shows on his his 24 seven profile. And so I'd give them a slight edge with, with him over some of these other elite guys they're looking at. Um, Thomas Fedone, who's from Iowa. Um, I don't believe has visited at this point. Um, so I, if, if I had written the article um, and hopefully Nick and, and Mike are listening and they feel shame about this, I probably would have had <laughs> Bowers as the top target and then tossed Fedone along with Jack Pugh, Hudson Wolf, uh, Matavo in that high choice category. It's going to be a matter of, of which of these guys get back to campus at some point. Um, none of these guys are local. Um, Bowers is, is a California kid, but was able to make the trip out, um, out East to hit a couple of schools before the shutdown last month. Um, so it, it'll, it'll kind of, like I said, depend on when these kids are able to start taking visits again and which one of them prioritize getting back to Penn state. But I think if, if Matavo or any of those other guys do make it to, to state college, 
they've got as good a chance as anyone the way they recruited tight ends and the way Tyler Bowen has recruited uh, that position specifically. Uh, speaking of Tyler Bowen, our pal uh, PSU Toaster wants to know which coach would win a wing eating contest. I think it's Bowen. I think Bowen would run away with it. What do you think? I'm, I'm giving Bowen the edge over Phil Troutwine. It's, it's one of those two. It's one of the former offensive linemen. Right. But Bowen's got um, about, I think he's four years younger than Troutwine, four or five years. So I'm, I'm going to give youth the experience in this this fictitious contest. Um, we, we actually debated this a little bit on this, the Slack earlier today. Um, our flip. Uh, was chiming in. He thought Shiraka, um would be sneaky with this kind of the tortoise and the hare thing. Um, but I, I've got to go with an offensive lineman who I think ate for a living, both of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. Like I'm, I'm thinking, uh, I, I, yeah, I just don't think anybody would have a chance against them. Uh, next question. Nathan Wilmot wants to know, is the next starting quarterback after Sean Clifford already on the roster? Um, I think, yes. I want to know what you think. I think yes, with the caveat that assuming that it's the 2022 season we're looking at, um, I would love to say that Clifford has such a great year this year that he's able to you know ride that momentum and turn pro because that means Penn State had a had a big time season as well. But if we're you know realistically probably looking at the 2022 season, um, you're going to have Taquan Roberson, Michael Johnson Jr., Will Levis, and then whatever quarterback they sign in this class. Um, I would hazard a guess that one of those three kids that is currently on the roster would start that first game. But I, I know we haven't really seen James Franklin have to make this kind of decision um, because of the level of quarterback play that they've had for the most part. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Christian Velu, we'll just use him as the example here, assuming he, he commits and signs with Penn State, if he doesn't work his way into that discussion at some point during that season, depending on how that, that day one week one starter plays out. And I'll also add the caveat here that if somehow Penn state pulls Caleb Williams out of this class, um, Caleb Williams is starting the second he uh, arrives. Maybe not the second he arrives on campus, but uh, he is, he is a hundred percent the guy um, once Clifford's out of the picture. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if they get Williams, this conversation is pointless. But if they don't get him, if they get Christian Ballou, I really like Michael Johnson Jr. I think there's a, you can do a lot of stuff with him uh, that I, I, I think you need your quarterback to do. His arm strength, his mobility, his athleticism, those sorts of things. I'd still probably guess Will Levis. Uh, coaches don't like taking big gambles with their quarterbacks. And I think the fact that Levis has experience playing uh is gonna he'll have been in the program by what four years by that point i have to guess that he'd have the leg up so yes we think that penn state's next quarterback is on the roster uh with caleb williams hanging over this uh you know in a big big way uh what is the brian covelli wants to know what's the prognosis for wide receiver this year how many slots for guys and who are the top one to two targets uh if we're taking Pat Fryermuth out, which I think we have to do since we're just talking wide receivers. I think it'll be uh, Jahan Dotson and Daniel George. Like I, I'm, I think both. I am a fan of the skills that they, both of them bring. Uh, I think Clifford has a bit of a rapport, definitely with Dotson, and you know George has gotten some run. As for how many slots, like I feel like Penn State just has to throw everyone who can play out there and see what you got. So if that means 
week one, we see John Dunmore, TJ Jones, Keandre Lambert-Smith, uh, Jahan Dotson, Ken Sul- Cam Sullivan-Brown, Daniel George, uh, and then maybe one or two of the other freshmen, Parker Washington, and maybe one or two other freshmen. They got to do that. Like you, There is no shame in taking as much – in taking a little bit of time to figure out what you have. Maybe that gets whittled down at the end, but I think we can probably reasonably say Dunmore, Jones, Dotson, Sullivan, Brown, and George will play to one extent or another. Washington and Lambert Smith are likely to play, and then from there, who knows? Bill, I want you to go back and read Mr. Cavelli's question again, because you missed a very key word in it. What's the problem? Oh, for why? I left the house in six weeks, so no, I forgive that, that, him. That's not okay. true. I went to the grocery store today. But I also like woke up early by my standards and worked on my day off today. So I'm but, way so, out of there. All, all you, Matt, you, you, you could take – but for anyone who wants to know what I think about Penn State's wide receiver room, that's what I think is going to happen. So I'm, we got a bonus question out of this because Bill can't read. But um, Penn State – I don't write words for a living. Well, you only write them. Someone else reads them. Depends. Okay. Well, now that we've completely lost the plot, um, Penn State's probably taking three receivers this year. Um, the the top two targets um, on my board would be Dante Thornton, um, the obviously one time Penn State commit, and then probably Jalil Farouk, um, who I think is still criminally underrated. I think he's every bit as good as Thornton. Um, there's two other guys that probably round out the most likely targets: Caden um, Prather from uh um maryland area and then um lonnie white the kid they just offered from um an in-state kid from pennsylvania who's kind of just a freak athlete committed to clemson to play baseball right now um they're looking at him probably as a receiver at this point um there's a number of other offers out there um there's a kid in michigan um whose name is eluding me at the moment um they're looking at a kid down in south carolina there's always the florida connection with juan cider um, kids down there. Um, but, but if I had to guess the, the two most likely, um, guys would probably be Thornton and Prather. Um, Penn state, it's, it's odd to talk about Thornton being such a, a, a high choice, um, on Penn state at the moment, because he was, you know, obviously decommitted, um, a few months ago. He's kind of the unique decommit though, in the sense that he, um, realized he made a decision too soon. It wasn't, you know, coaching change. It wasn't uncomfortable with the program. He jumped on an offer earlier than, than he realized he should have, you know, he hadn't visited a whole lot of places. He wanted to, to, to make a more informed decision. If you want to think of it that way. Um, so I, I think my hunch says, and I, I've been wrong about this stuff, um, probably way more than I've been right. But I, I think he comes back around to Penn state. And I think when they can get Caden Prather back up on campus, um, He's he's a guy that, um, assuming everything goes well with me, um, Taylor Stubblefield, and and kind of refamiliarizing himself with the program after he's able to make a visit again, um, is a guy that's always been really high on Penn State, and I'd, I'd be shocked if if he ends up elsewhere. Um, Monty White is a kid that I think is um, going to end up in the class, um, but he's you know is he a receiver? Is he a tight end? Um, he actually has some dual threat quarterback background. Um, there's no indication that Penn State's looking on that way. And you've also don't forget Liam Clifford, um, Sean's younger brother, um, who's being recruited as an athlete. Um, he could play either defensive back or wide receiver as well. Um, but but I think that 
they're in on on several big time players. Um, I would love to get Farouk in this class. It just doesn't seem like that's very likely at the moment. He looks like he's looking to get away from the area. He's also um, tight with Caleb Williams um, in the, from the DMV area. Um, both of them kind of look like they're Oklahoma bound at the moment, but but as we all know, things change quickly on that. Uh, is there j- just as a, kind of a quick side question? Is there any chance that we we get to look in Happy Valley as a uh, as a receiver, or is the thought that he's going to be defensive back all the way through? I think at the moment they're looking at him, you know, strictly as a safety. Um, but I think the numbers could ultimately dictate right. that, or, or you know. Who, who knows what ends up playing out with guys currently on the roster by the time Wheatley arrives on campus. Who knows what the rest of the class makeup is at receiver. Wheatley gives them some flexibility, and Clifford does as well, really. Um, there's a couple of guys that, that, you know, Clifford was a receiver when he committed. Um, there's a, a not insignificant line of thought out there that he's actually a better prospect as a, as a defensive back, um, as a safety. Um, but those are the kind of things that get worked out when they get on campus, and you kind of see what the depth chart looks like. Um, and then, but Penn State's done this for years all over the field where they, they recruit these guys cause they, they're really good football players and really good athletes and they figure out where they fit in later. And I think, um, that flexibility, especially in a smaller class is key too, because there's guys like, like a Derek, Derek Davis, for example, that's really high in the safety board that, um, I don't know if Penn State would necessarily take three safeties. Um, they're going to take Derek Davis if he wants in regardless, but maybe that, uh, opens it up for Wheatley to to look at the offensive side of the ball potentially. Okay. Uh, second to last question from Dan, from our, our own Dan Smith. What Penn State season would be the best one to have a Last Dance ask behind the scenes documentary made about it? Uh, you watched the Last Dance by chance? I did. It was I enjoyed it. it, it um, was that, was, that was my childhood. You know, I was would have been what fifteen, I guess, when uh, when the Bulls won that the ninety eight ninety seven ninety eight season. Yeah, that, it was fantastic. Like I'm already counting down the moments until get to see three and four. Uh, but for Penn state, I, it's 2012, like maybe 2016, but for me, like it, 2012 and a walk. Yeah. That's, that's the jumps off the page. You know, a couple, um, you know, secondary options the, the 2005 season, um, for our listeners that are, uh, have been around long enough. I'm mean, going to remember kind of the dynamics around the program at that point. Um, and there was a, a, a kind of, uh, prevailing opinion that that was going to be it for Paterno if he wasn't able to, um, you know, turn things around after four or five losing seasons to start the the first part of the, the century. Um, and to go from, you know, my four years there, I think it was 21 and 26 with just the one winning season to all of a sudden being, you know, two seconds away from a national championship potentially and certainly an undefeated season um, to go from where they were to where that, to, to what they became in the 05 season. Yeah. Um, would have been a, some pretty compelling behind the scenes footage, I'm sure. And our last question uh, from Jake Panikowski: What does Penn State have to do to overtake Ohio State in recruiting? Ohio State seems to get a top three class year after year, and it seems like they are the only team standing between us and the college football playoffs. When I saw this question, I laughed because I know where how Ohio State's recruiting, where they're at right now, um, what this. Cl- class in Columbus looks like it's going to be and the thought of Penn State if Penn State can get in the same stratosphere as Ohio State that would be ridiculous Ohio State the gap between Ohio State and the number two school in the country North Carolina is about 64 points by uh, 24 sevens 
metrics. That's the gap between North Carolina and just based off some quick math, the team in fifth or sixth or seventh. Like Ohio State is just that far ahead of everyone in recruiting. And then I spent all day thinking about this. And Matt, I sent you uh, the stuff that I think goes into this. We could do an entire podcast on this, but you know we're here, so why wouldn't we? And if anyone is listening at the 104 mark, basically, they'll keep listening. I think it comes down to two things. There's the big things, the obvious things, and then there's the lesser stuff. And I'm going to draw a line between the two, and you know, we can have a quick back and forth. With the big stuff, I, the four things, number one, the obvious one, win football games, win the, win the conference, make the playoff, win, you know, compete while you're there, uh, those sorts of things. That seems pretty easy. Number two, turn guys pro and have them be good pros. So you think of Ohio State, you think of the Bosa's, you think of Cameron Jordan, uh, you think of Michael Thomas, you think of Ezekiel Elliott. Ohio State has the ability, even if Ryan Day didn't coach them, to say, look at the guys we have in the NFL. Look at this upcoming draft where it's very possible after Joe Burrow goes number one, Joe Burrow, who went to Ohio State, goes number one, it's then going to be an Ohio State guy in Chase Young and an Ohio State guy in Jeff Okuda. Like, Ohio State is just able to get guys to the NFL in a way that few other maybe even no other school can do. And you see the way that Penn State can, I don't want to say match this, but Penn State has taken advantage of this in recruiting with, say, how they recruit running backs. They got Saquon Barkley. They got him to the NFL. They got Miles Sanders. They got him to the NFL. They are two of the five to 10 most promising young running backs in the NFL. And now Penn State's running back room is the deepest and most talented area on Penn State's roster. You know, there's the linebacker you thing. That's always going to be something that Penn State could say. We get guys to the NFL to play linebacker, and as such, Lance Dixon, Micah Parsons, Brandon Smith, uh, just these freak athletes have co- are in the pro- Curtis Jacobs in the program to play linebacker. That's number two. Number three, this one is one that is something that James Franklin says, but I'm going to change up his definition of it, which is legitimately dominate the actual state, and by that. I mean that James Franklin views anything within 500 miles of Pennsylvania as the state. I don't necessarily disagree with him. But what I will say is that one thing that Ohio State can do is if you, is it can walk into any living room in the state of Ohio for a kid that it wants. Say we want you and get that kid. You look at the top five kids in Ohio in this recruiting class. Number three, Jack Sawyer. He's going to Ohio State. Number 70, Jaden Ballard going to Ohio State. Number 73, Reed Creecho. He's going to Ohio State. Number 92, Mike Hall going to Ohio State. Number 108, Ben Crispin going to Ohio State. You then look at Pennsylvania. Number one, Nolan Rucci doesn't, you know, he seems like he's going to be coming to Penn State. We'll see what happens. Number two, Kyle McCord going to Ohio State. Number three, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. going to Clemson. Number four, Derek Davis. Hopefully Penn State, but we'll see what happens. Number five, Marvin Harrison Jr. going to Ohio State. To get to that Ohio State level, I think Penn State needs to be able to walk into any, and obviously there are huge differences between the way the state of Ohio looks at Ohio State and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania looks at Penn State. But Penn State needs to be able to go into these living rooms and get these kids frequently. Not, you don't have to get the top five, top seven, top ten kids every year. But I look at a year like 2015 where the number one kid was Jordan Whitehead. He went to Pitt, which was a bit of a surprise. 
Number two, Saquon Barkley. Number three, John Reed. Number four, Ryan Bates. Number five, Sterling Jenkins. Number six, Ryan Buckholtz. Number seven, Andre Robinson. Number 11, Jake Cooper. Number 12, Sharif Miller. Number 15, Nick Bowers. Number 18, Kevin Givens. Number 20, John Patrician. You keep kids that you want at home. And with how much talent there is in Pennsylvania, I think that takes care of itself. And the number four, win big out-of-state battles, which is a, a very tri- tricky thing for Penn State. We'll get into why in a second. But even if you go after you know, five five-star kids and 10 four-star kids in other states, and you maybe get one of the five-star kids and two of the four-star kids with the town in Pennsylvania, suddenly that recruiting class that Penn State has is going to be able to compete with anyone. I think if Penn State does all of those, can do all those big things, Matt, that is the that is the overarching stuff that it has to do. Would you agree with those things? I think largely, yeah. Um, the caveat with a couple here, um, you know, dominating Pennsylvania um, this year would have been great, um, but there's there's almost some extenuating circumstances in a sense where. Um, Kyle McCord and and his group, um, his parents, his, his coaches, just decided that the Penn State offense wasn't a great fit for for their son's skill set, for his own skill set. Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't really a kid. His, he was actually a teammate of, of McCord at um, St. Joe's in Philly. Um, never really a, a kid that Penn State recruited heavily and never a kid that showed a lot of interest in Penn State. And I mentioned the same for, for Jeremiah Trotter Jr., um, if you go back and look at the last handful of years in Pennsylvania, it hasn't been full of the kind of talent that you need to compete at that elite level. Um, there, there's been a handful of guys. Certainly losing Julian Fleming to Ohio State is a is a huge miss, especially given his proximity to Penn State, among other things. But Ohio State, and you, you touched on it with some of those things outside of your control, the state of Ohio every year is full of elite-level talent. And you know, Jim Trestle built a national champion essentially on the backs of primarily recruiting Ohio. Um, and then Urban Meyer came in and took that to the next level by landing those big fish in Ohio and then capitalizing on his national appeal to, to grow Ohio State's reach even more nationally. Um, the one thing that I, I want to point out here before we get into some of the other things is Going back, and this is just this is as much as fits on my screen. But since 2003, Ohio State has had two seasons with less than 10 wins. And if I'm doing my a quick look here, they've had two. Those same two seasons are the only two where they finished outside of the top 10 nationally in the polls. They have been a legitimate 10 plus win season, top five to 10 nationally program for damn near two decades and probably longer than that. If I went back in the nineties, they had that little blip there at the end of the John Cooper era, but really more than any other program in the country, Ohio state has been that constant for virtually my entire life. Um, it's certainly my lifetime following college football. They have been one of the elite, elite programs and you've had two, maybe even three generations of kids now grow up with Ohio state nationally. I'm not even talking about Ohio but around the country, I've grown up with Ohio State being that elite-level program that com- competes for national championships every year and gets players to the NFL at a high level. Um, you look at Penn State over that same time frame since the late 90s. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but they certainly have way more than two seasons with fewer than 10 wins and a lot of seasons where they didn't finish in the top 25. And it's just, I think there's... 
and I, we could do another podcast on this topic too. There is an element of um, Penn State's fan base, I think, that didn't realize where the program had fallen in the eyes of these elite level players over the last, you know, since the early 2000s, I'd say. You have a lot of kids in Pennsylvania and elsewhere that have grown up where Penn State just hasn't been that Penn State that a lot of um, older alums and older fans remember of the, the 90s and 80s and 70s where they were what Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson are right now, among others. And so I think it's it's kind of a, you know, you're, uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will, but Penn State hasn't been at this elite level of 10-plus wins, BCS bowl games, competing um, for Big Ten championships and being on the precipice of, of college football playoff spots consistently enough where it overcomes some of those you know, built-in advantages that places like Ohio State have had by just being at the level they've been for so long um, on top of all the things that Bill mentioned as far as putting players into the pros, um, having a, a state of a, a home state where they're able to walk into a living room and, and you know pick the guys that they want in a state that produces more talent annually. And not to mention in a state that if you grew up in Ohio, for the most part, you're an Ohio State fan. You know, I've said this before. I grew up an Ohio State fan because that's what you did in, in Ohio. Um, and there, Penn State just doesn't have that element in throughout the entire state like Ohio State does, yeah. um, which is another built-in advantage that that you're never going to overcome. And then you've got um, you know some of these the the lesser stuff that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But you know, state college isn't the easiest place in the planet to get to. You're connecting through somewhere at least. Um, whether it's, you know, Philly or DC or, or wherever, um, you know, Columbus isn't exactly New York, but it's a bigger airport. It's easier to get to. There's more flights in there every day. Um, you know, it's, it's easier to drive to from a lot of places. Um, so, you know, those little things that can add up, um, do have an, an impact, but I think, um, to, to answer the question in, in a big picture, I think the biggest thing that Penn State has to keep do is keep doing what they're doing. Um, because as I've said a hundred times, they've risen the, the natural talent level in the program to a level that, um, it certainly hasn't been since I've been a fan, um, from top to bottom on the roster there, there's never been a, a group of players as talented as there is right now. And you keep doing that and, you know, eventually you get a couple of breaks and you, you do take that next step. But this, this last step from, you know, I'm not going to use the term that Franklin used that last <laughs> step to get to that perennial playoff contender, like in Ohio state. It seems like a small step, but it's there's a lot of things that go into it. Yeah, I, to, to be clear, like everything that I just laid out is impossibly difficult. There are what four, five. The college football programs that do that can do all of those things are Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, and maybe Georgia. Like, and even Georgia is like kind of starting to, I don't want to say come back to reality a little bit because they're still recruiting very well, but like there's a very defined ceiling on Georgia these last couple of years. And that is when they run into the best team in the SEC West, they don't win. So it's tough. It's very, very, very hard. The fact, the fact that, uh, you know, say something like in Ohio state, you can go anywhere in Ohio and Ohio State's the most popular team, you know, maybe, Maybe you find a few people in Cincinnati who really love the Bearcats or a few people in the northeast, northwest corner of the state who like Notre Dame. But like 
it's Ohio State through and through, Penn State, the closer you get to Pittsburgh, the closer you get to Philly, not necessarily. All that stuff. It's Again, it's hard. And then there are these other little lesser things that add up. Matt mentioned the airport. Columbus's airport compared to State College is like comparing uh, – it, it might as well be LaGuardia. Like – the Columbus airport is gigantic compared to the tiny thing that you have in state college where everything is a little puddle jumper that makes its way in there. Like it is very easy to get to Columbus, Ohio. And then when you get there, there's way more stuff to do. If you are in state college, Pennsylvania, you are in state, like you are in the college town and that's basically it. in Columbus. There is a city there. There is city stuff that you can do there. Uh, there, if you want, you can drive what, an hour and a half in either direction and go to an NFL game or go to an NBA game or go to a baseball game. There's a pro hockey team in Columbus. Like there is just so much stuff to do in Columbus comparatively to Penn state, which that's not something that everyone that fits for everyone, but for certain kids, like that's a, a big edge that Penn state just cannot match the facilities. Ohio state might have the best facilities in all of college football. They're certainly up there with an Oregon, with an Alabama, with a Texas, those sorts of schools. And how many times have we heard James Franklin say that something that Matt alluded to, with how the Paterno era went and how Penn State operated during the Paterno era, there's a lot of catch-up that Penn State has to do to get its facilities to that level so that when you bring a kid in, you can wow them. Uh, you know, I'm not even going to mention like jerseys here because I don't want to cause a riot, but for some kids, having a lot of really cool jerseys is an important thing. Ha- for some kids... The opportunity to play football for a team that like LeBron James is personally invested in, and if you are really good, LeBron's going to tweet about you, and LeBron is going to send you stuff. I, I mean, that's an edge that we saw that that we've seen with North Carolina and Michael Jordan. It's an edge that we've seen with Nike and Phil Knight. Uh, you know, we're far enough into this podcast that I'm going to tell a story where uh, that shows the importance that connections like this can have. There is a college basketball, like I have been told that there is a college basketball coach who, I won't say who, it wasn't Pat, who really, really wanted a player. And while he was visiting with said player and trying to pitch them at their school, he was able to say, oh, I'm getting a call from X person who is very, very, very important. And that was something that mattered to the kid. These sorts of little things matter, and these sorts of little things add up to Ohio State having a bunch of little advantages over Penn State, and they're just things that Penn State either can't match or has to work to match. You know, Penn State's three hours from Philly and Pittsburgh. Penn State's facilities aren't aren't the best in college football. If you want to do something in state college, you are going to College Avenue or Beaver Avenue or maybe a bar on Atherton, and that's basically it. It's just these little things that every little bit matters, and they're just little edges that Ohio State has. And, you know, Matt, I've kind of rambled at this point, but, like, it's silly to us sitting here as adults thinking, oh, you know, uh, I'm going to a school because I get a pair of LeBron James sneakers. But, like, for a 17, 18-year-old who idolizes LeBron James, that stuff matters. Yeah, I I want to touch on something that that I meant to earlier that, that you reminded me of when you were talking about the differences between Columbus and State College, for example. Um, you know, places like Clemson and Tuscaloosa, 
have have been able to overcome that that small town feel by you know Alabama's you know history of success forever. Um, you know that matters, and on top of being in a, a football obsessed state and football obsessed region, Clemson's been able to make up for it. You know, over the last ten years, by doing what Penn State's doing, by building up the talent level, and in our hope is you know eventually breaking through like Clemson did. Um, but I think it's it's weird for for our, our listening base, you know, by and large, Penn State fans, people that love State College, to to under you know to say, well, you know, State College is great once you get there. Well, I think oh, it, it, State College is my favorite place in the world, like exactly. But 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 you can't get there easily, and I think it's it's going to be until Penn State becomes Clemson. You know, ho- you know, hopefully that's that's where this is going. Until they become that kind of program year after year after year, um, you have to get kids to central Pennsylvania to get them to realize, oh, this place has great facilities. This place is fun. You know, I, I you know get to meet the coaches. I get to spend time there. I get to realize what this program is all about. Um, because it's not, especially for the kids that are looking right now. You know, when they were forming allegiances and watching college football, you know, as 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 you know, ten, eleven, twelve year old kids not that long ago penn state was going eight and four and playing in you know the, the alamo bowls of the world um and and that stuff you know when they're seeing ohio state play in those games every year that that makes an impact and i think penn state's doing that now with this next wave of recruits that are in middle school and early on in high school now and, and hopefully that pays off where they've kind of established themselves as more of an elite level program than they were when when the last five or six classes worth of kids have come through um but it's it a big part of it for me ultimately does come back to state college's geographic location. And it's just it's it sells itself once you get there, but you gotta get kids there and it's harder and harder for kids to get there. I think the new recruiting rules help Penn State a ton. Um getting kids on on campus for official visits in the spring. Um obviously not this year, but getting kids on campus um without having to spend the money to get there, it's not an inexpensive place to fly into getting those kids from Florida, Texas, California into state college um, earlier on in the process, making it easier for them to get there um, financially is, is really impactful because as any of us who went to Penn state can attest, um, it really does sell itself. Once you, you really get to experience it. Yeah, we can do a, uh, we can do hours, 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 and maybe we will, maybe we'll do something on Penn state's place. In we, college we've football. got the time. We, we've certainly got the time. Uh, but this is, it, it's a, it's an interesting conversation. Cause like, again, while I laughed, you, you know, I don't want to say laughed. I chuckled at the question, uh, when we first got it sent to us, because you, you, you know, that's a, it, it is a pretty big gap. Like I, literally dropped in this slack that the answer is Ohio state shutters its football program. There is a lot that goes into this and there's a lot that Penn state is working on fixing and working on doing so it can hopefully shorten that gap to Ohio state and get to the point where, you know, it's basically already like this when Penn Ohio state goes into the season, knowing that one of Penn state and Michigan are going to be there every single year. And Ohio state's going to have to beat them to win the big 10. Penn State is getting to the point where that Ohio State-Michigan game isn't going to matter at all. Its goal is to make that Ohio State-Michigan game not matter, and Penn State is getting closer and closer and closer every single year to making that Ohio State game not matter in terms of winning the Big Ten, in terms of making the playoff, those sorts of things. So we'll, uh, we will certainly dive into this a bit more 
uh, at some other point. Uh, we went very long on this one, so if you're still listening, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh, all the normal stuff here, subscribe, leave us reviews, follow us on Twitter. Uh, one thing we've been doing, Matt alluded to this a little earlier, little watch parties uh, every night, every uh, Saturday night, where we watch a past Penn State game. If you want to uh, be a, a part of those, follow along, tweet the game with us. We're having fun while we're doing that. We're sure you're going to have fun too. Uh, if you can, buy some shirts. And of course, above everything else, make sure you're all staying safe. Uh only way out of all this is solidarity. So we're, uh, we're in this together. We're going to get out of this together, hopefully, as soon as uh, all the scientists say it's safe for us to do that. So one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.